0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Just to be Nominated, a podcast about movies that is distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades, who currently is the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa. And me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. With movies getting back to some sort of normal, Uh, we decided to chop it up about some new releases, including In the Heights, which is out today on HBO Max. Then we celebrate the Fast and the Furious franchise marking 20 years with the release of a ninth film at the end of the month by recommending movies that fans of the series may love. Finally, we'll get into some of the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies that we talk about in the show notes, along with our contact info, if you want to sound off in our inbox or Twitter DMs. Let us know what you think in the reviews section of the show, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. Yeah, so welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies and entertainment and such, uh, I am Chris Lay, uh, based in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm the podcast operations manager for Lee, uh, as well as a former archivist and journalist, et cetera. And I'm here with co-hosts. We got Jared McNett from the Mason City, Iowa Globe Gazette.
1: Shoot him again. His soul is still
0: dancing. Shoot him again. His soul is still dancing. And we got Bruce Miller, who has been an entertainment reporter for multiple decades. Dad, since Dirt. Since Dirt. Top billing for this week is going to be in the Heights. Bruce, if you want to jump in on that. I was really
2: excited for this. I like it, but I think there are really too many numbers. How many times are those people out in the streets dancing around and singing in water and doing whatever? I don't need all that. And I do think that they missed some of the the drama that was in the play. But um, they were very, very smart in not casting Lin-Manuel Miranda as Usnavi. I think that was a very brave and bold and right move to do, because he isn't isn't the age that you need to be for this anymore. And that's where we're going to come into a problem later this summer with Dear Evan Hansen. You're going to see that really, was Ben Platt really the best choice because Dad's producing the movie? No. They should have gotten a real young kid to play the part. The joy of having an old person playing a part on stage is that they have the stamina and you can push them like crazy because they know it's a job. Putting a kid on stage eight times a week is not easy. And, um, but you can put a kid in a movie and you can get a lot more out of it. And so I think that's, you know, Lynn was right to back away from
0: being, he's in it but from being the star of it. So, I mean, just to kind of frame this a little bit, obviously everybody knows Hamilton, but this was the play, the, the musical that Lin-Manuel Miranda did before that, which, I mean, it won, you know, best. It Tony Tony's,
2: best- won the best musical. And yeah. he was doing that in college. So it really is kind of the, the raw Lin that you're seeing. But what's interesting is when you listen to some of the sounds that they have in In the Heights, you can see the parallel in Hamilton. There are things that the Schuyler sisters sing that sound like they've been lifted um, for this movie, but and he's in it as, in a part that he says easily could have been cut, and they should have cut it and made it an extra. He plays the Shaved ice guy, and really it doesn't do anything to the plot. It's just there.
0: It doesn't do anything to the plot, but it's a it's a fun little you know thing for train spotting folks to feel connected to the film a little bit more in the same way i remember um was it jimmy smith's character there's a moment where he's on hold and the king george song is the the hold music and yeah i mean it's a fun little thing for me to be like oh i got it you know and it's didn't take away from the film i didn't think i mean it's already it's it's gonna be a long movie in and of itself i thought it was really good It's, it's on it just came out on hbo max um, and it is in theaters. Yeah, it's going to be hard to go back to saying that things are in theaters because I've, I've lost all muscle memory of actually checking movie times and considering going back to a movie. Of the three of us, I think I'm the only one that hasn't been to a theater yet, right? Oh, yeah, we've got to be back.
2: I haven't, yeah. We're not sitting at home and watching that big screen. We're going out with real people and we're seeing movies on the screen the way they were meant to be seen. No, I'm just a horrible little
0: hermit over here.
1: <laughs> why, why does every musical have to be two and a half hours? I'm looking at the running time for this and it's 143 minutes. Les Mis is like two and a half hours. My Fair Lady was like three hours. Why does every musical have to be that's so long?
2: They're epic.
1: You can't make an epic
2: 90 minute musical. You know, you're gonna get one later this year called Tick, Tick, Boom, which Lin-Manuel Miranda is directing. Um, And it's the first piece that um, the rent guy wrote, Jonathan Larson. And so, and I think that's shorter. Um, And I believe if you look, there's last five years is out there and that's not that long, but it's very kind of small in terms of scope with this there were never this many people on stage within the Heights. It was like, you know, and they interacted a little more and there weren't big dance numbers. There were maybe two. And then a lot of those songs that became these big things were between a couple of people. So I, you know, it's different and I'm fine with it. It's a different approach.
0: I thought it was really great. Between the three of us, Jared is on the, I mean, you haven't seen it yet, Jared, but I know that you're, your knee-jerk reaction to musicals, but also I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is uh, his general approach. To
1: <laughs> he has the rapping style of like Black Eyed Peas type stuff. Like that's the kind of rapping style that he like finds interesting. And as someone who listens to a lot of rap, not a fan of it, it just hits my
0: ears wrong. <laughs> no, I can totally see it. I mean, well, mean, what's the, it's the kind of rap that, you know, a theater nerd's going to, you yep. know, be into, I don't know. I'd say, I don't know. It's a horrible generalization, um, but I mean, it's I was a theater true. nerd and yeah, but I mean, I was a theater nerd who was into, you know, weird fast rap like that. And I totally get it. He's the um, gateway drug for rappers
2: because if you're, you know, mom would say, Oh, well, I kind of like that rap music. That's not so bad because, but what you always hear when you, when people go to his plays or his musicals, they talk so fast. Why are they singing these songs so well, fast? I can't understand it. That's it in a nutshell, but yeah, I like it. It's good. It's a good summer film. It reminds me of fame. It's very kind of exuberant and you're all kind of jumping around and even though you got problems and you know what I couldn't figure out and I couldn't figure it out when I saw it as a play either is $96,000 for a lottery ticket. That's as good as it gets. Aren't we all jumping around if it's like a 312 million? That's what I think. A $96,000 one, hell, you get what? 48 after that, after taxes or something? And then there's like, what can you do with that that's going to get you out of the heights? Nothing. A car. You get a car in New York. That's what you get. But I wish it had been a bigger jackpot that they were all kind of looming over. Because that's kind of the theme is that everybody has these dreams and they're all looking, what what could I do if I could do it? And like uh the wizard of oz it comes down to you had that ability all the time you just never took it you never took that initiative you thought you needed money to get you out of there but it isn't true and i it's good it's good i hope it they added they added an extra song at the end during the credits so lynn can get an oscar nomination because none of the songs would be eligible if this went with what you know was in there because they've already been Exposed in another medium, so but he won a Grammy for it, so and he won a Tony.
0: We talked about this on our Oscars coverage earlier this year, but the inclusion of credits songs, things where it's just like that's like you're sneaking something in, you know, in in the same way that Pixar always has like the short film in front of whatever, so then that short film gets nominated and then
2: <laughs> or. Like the Avengers will throw in the sneak preview at the end after you've sat through every special effects name for five minutes.
0: I want to see. I want to see Kevin Feige just like really get the cojones to submit one of the Marvel stingers as a <laughs> Oscar <laughs> short film. Yeah, yeah,
2: they could win. They probably would. I mean,
0: <laughs> In the Heights is out now. It's on HBO Max.
2: I saw another one called queen bees it's old people in a retirement home ellen burton and margaret grandma will like it if grandma needs to go to a movie take her to that one she'll get a good laugh out of it and she'll say at the end james khan looks kind of old doesn't he that's queen bees you saw conjuring didn't you
1: yeah i did i saw uh, the conjuring the devil made me do it uh was that uh last weekend i think yeah I uh, went and saw a a late screening of it because seeing a horror movie during the day just never feels right. Um, And of the three main Conjuring movies, um, it's probably my least favorite. Not that there was like any glaring thing I could find fault with. I think just, you know, uh, in some ways I've seen some of this stuff twice before now. And so it's a little bit harder to impress me in the, the same kind of way. But like the opening to it, probably has one of the better, like, scare sequences they've set up so far in any of the movies. They did a really good uh, job with that, and um, a lot of people have pointed this out, but uh, at this point, uh, uh, Vera Farmiga and uh, Patrick Wilson are probably one of the better on-screen couples, like, in any movie or movie series, um, and so it's, it's kind of cool watching them at this point, because I do think they have really good uh, on-screen chemistry and are great together in the, these movies,
2: so. What are they investigating? What's the case?
1: Uh, this time, it's another actual case, which I'm surprised I, I didn't see as much uproar about it as I thought it, there might be. Um, it was a case from the 80s where a guy um, stabbed a neighbor to death, and his legal team actually tried to make the case for like, the first known time in like U.S. legal history anyway, that um, uh, he was innocent by way of demonic possession. Devil made me do it. Yep, exactly. That's where the yeah, subtitle of the movie comes in, and so the Warrens, who Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson play, have to try to like
2: prove that in some way. So it's okay to go see.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. If you're if you're a fan of the other two Conjuring movies, you won't be disappointed by any stretch. If you're jumping in uh, at the third one, you actually you'll be fine. You won't be lost because there's not a lot of like lore necessarily that's built movie on top of movie on top of movie. So you won't really feel lost either. So either way, whether you're like a seasoned uh, vet or like a newbie to any of these movies, you'll you'll be fine. I saw that and then this one was a little bit older, but I just now saw it and actually had quite a bit of fun with it too. Was uh I saw The Wrath of Man on Tuesday, the Jason Statham and uh Guy Ritchie movie. And um I actually dug that one quite a bit. It felt like a little bit of a Darker, nastier version of even like Den of Thieves or something like that. It took a real turn into like a revenge movie that I was not expecting. And it got pretty intense, at least for a Jason Statham movie, because like he's usually just, you know, doing the witty bands and like, you know, shooting a guy or whatever. But it got a little, little bit darker uh, this time around. So those are the big two that I've seen
2: most recently. I like Jason Statham. I think he's very, very talented. And I think he's, people underrate him. When you, you like, you know, because he could easily be Vin Diesel if you wanted to. But I don't want him to be that. I think he has a lot of acting skill that could be used in, you know, non-action movies. Okay, what else is on the list that we haven't hit? Well, speaking about,
0: you know, action movies, we've got two sci-fi action flicks, uh, Awake and Infinite. Awake is on Netflix. It's on Netflix now. And uh, Infinite... Is on Paramount Plus. Um, everybody has Netflix, so jump in on Awake. It's, a, it's like a, an electromagnetic pulse that hits Earth and makes it so nobody can sleep. Everybody has to stay awake and none of the cars work. Um, and Gina Rodriguez plays a mom, and her daughter is awake or like her, her daughter can sleep. That's the thing. And so everyone is slowly going crazy because if you don't sleep, your brain starts to kind of, you know, start to hallucinate and whatever. It felt a lot like Bird Box to me. So if, if you liked Bird Box, I would say jump in on awake. I don't, I don't want to say goofy, but it's, if you like Bird Box, you'll like awake. It's got that kind of Bird Box mojo where, you know, everyone is going to have a conversation with their, with their parents about it because their parents will have seen it. Um, and, you know, yeah. I feel like it's it's going to do really well. I won't see it. Fair yeah, enough. You... Well, if you aren't going
2: to see that... Thinking, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you're in the movies at the theater, remember the theater? You could fall asleep very easily with some of those films. And it was like the best nap
0: ever. So maybe that's what I'd get out of it. But... Well, if you if you're not going to see that, then I assume that you also will not see Infinite, which is the new movie from Antoine Fuqua, who probably most notable for doing Training Day, you know, what, 20 years ago now. Um, And it stars Mark Wahlberg. And the idea is that there are people that are infinites that they can recall all of their past lives. And in doing so, they get these special kinds of powers and then Mark Wahlberg is someone who is on the the verge of actually recalling all of his past lives, and then gets wrapped up in this big battle of you know good and evil. With a uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is sort of the bad guy, uh, and it's a very blunt object. I think I'll say that. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, subtlety going on in Infinite. So yeah.
1: I find that hard to believe. There's not a lot of subtlety in a Mark Wahlberg action
0: movie. You know, believe it or not. I mean, between this and Spencer Confidential, I will take Spencer Confidential. But I certainly know people who are, if they're not excited about Infinite already, then they they will be. You know, it's like a, it's, it's very much a specific kind of geekdom sort of movie. So definitely give that a shot if that's your thing. Paramount Plus is a weird platform. I think this is one of the first what was it before was it peacock no not peacock no cbs all access
2: that's it it was basically for star trek stuff that's what they got it for and then people started watching the stand a good fight that's another one that has brought people there but it has a lot of those old shows that you used to see on cbs and you think okay i'm good
1: (laughs) yeah it has a eight million subscribers apparently or so uh I don't know who those 8 million are. It might all be the same people that are still, the same 8 million that are still watching CBS more generally. I don't know.
2: Trackers, Because they have a few other kind of shows that are in that Star Trek canon that are on that. And so you like that, You there you go.
0: And you might get this other one too. And I think like the other one that is worth throwing out there uh, is a movie that I don't know nearly enough about, but I'm intrigued. Peter Rabbit 2 hard pass on Peter Rabbit 2 from this guy.
2: You see where I'm coming from. You can just all those ones and say, yeah, I'm good. Um, What was the one you were going to say? Sorry, I interrupted.
0: Oh, no, you're fine. I was going to say Skater Girl, which is uh, Indian American coming of age sports drama, quote unquote. um, That is apparently on Netflix this weekend, but when I went on Netflix and tried to watch the trailer for it, Uh, It told me that the trailer was not available in my region. So um, maybe not. But hey, if it's there, give it a look. I think it sounds really neat. It's just starting in India and then it'll move other places. The film tells the story of a teenage tribal girl in Rajasthan, India, who discovers skateboarding after a 30-something British Indian girl introduces skateboarding in a village. I'm intrigued about it. I will certainly watch it if and when I'm able to. I don't know if uh Jared, you want to take the uh the top of the marquee for next week.
1: Uh yeah, the uh the, the big one for now, uh, next week is uh the hitman, his lover, or no, uh sorry, it's uh the hitman's wife's bodyguard, um, which I don't know, and Chris and I talked about this last week. I still don't know exactly why they made a sequel to the Hitman's Bodyguard, which came out a couple years ago and has uh, Ryan Gosling and uh, Samuel Jackson in it. It came out in 2017 and like, like a perfectly like competent uh, action movie. And it did like pretty well at the box office and made like 176 million, but I'm still not entirely sure why there's a sequel, but yeah, next week we get a a sequel to the Hitman's Bodyguard with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Sam Jackson. And then uh, also in this one, we got uh, Selma Hayek, uh, I do believe, and she was in the first one too. And then also uh, Antonio Banderas. Yeah, Antonio Banderas and Morgan Freeman, because he's like pops up in every action movie now um, in like weird roles. And uh, yeah, there you go. they the Hitman's wife's uh, bodyguard. So if you're a fan of the, the Hitman's bodyguard universe, I guess you're in luck now because there's a new addition.
0: The extended Hitman's family universe the hitman's
1: uh wife's bodyguards cousin
0: they got a lot of family members they could hit
1: that'll be the spinoff
2: when they go back into um re-edit it before it's put into the afi um, vault well who knows who else will be in it
0: i don't know if this one's destined for the afi vault i mean hold me to this if it ends up if, if i'm wrong
2: <laughs> i don't think you have to worry about that
1: chris i think you'll be that's a, the safest bet you could possibly
0: make that's what i might i might just say screw it and that'll be my my return to theaters that'll be good
2: what a re-entry
0: <laughs> after that uh coming out on the 18th on disney plus or i guess disney plus premium probably is luca the new pixar film do you know anything about that one bruce do you remember bow do you remember that one where the little girl and the you know the
2: the grandma was making the thing and the thing came alive and- it's it's very coming of age kind of thing it's in that i think what they did was they let somebody have a vanity project they wanted to do and it turned out to be much better than they ever thought it was going to be so i think it's going to be great i'm looking forward to that
1: it's a coming of age movie about the uh enforcer from the godfather in animated version
2: there you go we'll dig deeply into it i have already have books on it um, the Art of Luca, if you can believe that, I've already gotten the book, and um, I've just been holding off until I see it. Then I'll go back and look at the book, because those books, if you look at them first, it kind of spoils some things. If you really love animation, they do the best books that are about the making of. They, you see all the sketches they use to create everything. They're great. Chronicle Books puts them out. And if you look at Disney has had all of their big films in the last, whatever, decade or so. Um, they have books, companion books with these, and they're fun to look at, especially if you like that kind of stuff. And you'll see how characters morphed and and uh, changed over time and and how they looked in a different kind of a uh, maybe they were not as kind of glossy as some of the Pixar characters look now. They were maybe sketching, and it looks they look like some of the 101 Dalmatians characters back in the 60s when they animated them. So the books are great to look at, but like I say, I don't like to spoil it until I've seen the film, and then I go back and it's like, oh, those are what the signs were on the on the walls all around there. So Luca, we'll talk more when it comes.
0: So I think that's that kind of wraps up the new releases. So. Now we're going to do, I think we're lovingly calling this staff picks as if we worked in, in a video store. And the theme submitted by by Jared, you can take this one, Jared.
1: It's always nice to have like some kind of a, you know, anchor time peg kind of thing with this sort of deal. And uh, of course, there's a new Fast and Furious movie coming out at the end of the month. And uh, it's actually coming out right around the 20th anniversary of the uh, first one, which came out in uh, 2001 and so we were talking about this with that one coming out and obviously over the years as there's been uh nine movies now with the new one coming out they've accrued uh, a lot of additional cast members and they've kind of been all over the place with cast members you know we've got we got ludicrous that uh first came in the the second one you know you got uh helen Mirren showing up in one of the later ones and uh, john cena in the newest one and so we were talking about um who are some uh actors and uh actresses uh, that haven't been in the uh, Fast and Furious movies yet uh, that we think would, uh, would make sense and would fit in well to that world.
0: So what do you think, Bruce? Who's somebody who's somebody who should be in a Fast and Furious movie who hasn't yet? Olivia Coleman.
1: Coming out strong. Okay.
0: Interesting. Wouldn't she be great? I think she would. Because, you know, you, Helen Mirren is kind of
2: at that point in her career. But you're seeing Olivia Colman doing some different things now that I think she'd be good. Now, you, she'd have to be in kind of a, an authority figure role or somebody's mother. But I think she might be kind of fun in this. And I would rather get back to those kind of blue chippers who you think, what? They're doing this? It's like it's almost like another Avengers universe.
1: Right, which it is at this point, because, I mean, there's, again, there's nine movies plus, you know, Hobbs and Shaw as a spinoff. So it's its own, yeah, Marvel Cinematic Universe, but for Fast and Furious.
2: If you're a, a A-name, A-list actor, you have to have a Marvel movie on your credits somehow. It's just a matter of time before they'll all have done a Marvel movie. And so this could be Universal's kind of answer to that, is Fast and Furious, because it's gone all over the map. Good Lord. It started out as this kind of little road race among rival groups, and now they're flying through the air and going to space and God knows what. And it's, you know, anybody can Anthony Hopkins. Come on, throw him in. It's time.
1: He was one I thought about too. Yeah, that he he seems almost a perfect fit.
2: I was surprised when I looked at the list. I didn't remember that um, Vanessa Kirby was in it. Oscar nominee, Vanessa Kirby. What? Right. Rob Delaney was in it. I don't remember him. Um, Idris would be, yeah, I would probably remember that he was in that. Um, and I hated Charlize Theron in it. I really did. I thought she did not belong in this thing. And she was mean, too, and I don't like mean things. So mine's Olivia Coleman. There you go.
1: I had uh, actress and actor. Uh, actress... Um Actually, I had uh, two in particular, uh, both maybe more in a Helen Mirren type of uh, role in one of these movies. I had uh, Halle Berry and uh, Hilary Swank, I think would both be uh, good fits for the uh, Fast and Furious movies. They both have, you know, like the Academy Award gravitas to them, of course, but then, you know, they've also been convincing enough and stuff that's more uh, action oriented. Like, uh, I think Halle Berry was like more than capable in the Bond movie that she was in. And I think both of then would be plenty down to be in the Fast and Furious uh, world. So that's, that's, those are my two picks for actress. And then for actor, um, I think it's, it's amazing to me at this point that John Bernthal has not popped up in a Fast and Furious movie. Like that just seems like a layup, um, considering he plays versions of like, the kind of character that would be in that world. Uh, so that one for the obvious one. And then, uh <laughs> Maybe also uh, let's get Russell Crowe in a Fast and Furious movie. He just did uh, Unhinged last year. So we know he can uh, drive a car and uh, menace people. So he could be the bad guy uh, in a Fast and Furious movie who never gets out of his car and just drives around and threatens
2: people. The big ham. What about, how about we throw in Harry Styles?
0: You know, you got to aim for a different audience. And that'd be a way of doing it. He could play it. The pick that I've got. I've got, I also, I kind of went like actor and actress. The actor I'm, I'm very serious about. I am, I am surprised that Danny Trejo has not been in one of these movies yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like imagine some like chopper, like subplot or something like that. Yep. And then the actress, and this is partly just because whenever she's in something, I, I'm, I always perk up and I'm, I'm that much more excited about it. And that's Margot Martindale. I don't know where she'd fit, but I totally like, you know, could see her as like someone's kind of kooky mom or I don't know what, like if I was watching one of those movies and all of a sudden, you know, Margo Martindale's in the back seat or whatever, <laughs> like, I don't know.
1: She is one of those people uh, that's a, a that uh, person to me. Cause like, I did not remember her name, but yeah. Uh, she was the mom in uh walk hard, which is one of the things I definitely remember. And then she also, she's the one that's in uh, the Americans. Right.
2: Yeah, she's so fun. You would love her. And she can gossip better than anybody. So, oh, I would
0: imagine so. And it's also, I mean, she's at a point in her career where she doesn't have to, you know, really hold back.
2: <laughs> and Dowd kind of falls in that same category. But it's great to see them get, you know, good good work at this point in their careers. It's like um, Jean Smart. Jean Smart is, and she could fit into this real well. You know, and it'd be a different audience for her.
1: The other one I had was, um, I thought uh, it would probably be as a villain. Um, uh, I could see Michael Fassbender
2: working well in uh, the Fast and Furious movies. He'd be good. He'd be good. How about some of those action people that haven't gotten in it? Would Arnold Arnold be?
1: He probably, what do you think, Chris? Would he be game for a Fast and Furious movie at this point?
0: I feel like he's kind of like it's a different level of of star power, you know. Like like he's on. Like it's it, it's hard to bring in someone who has that '80s action hero cachet to fit in with something like a Fast and the Furious. But he certainly has the you know cartoon character over the topishness ishness um, that that the the series you know lives and breathes.
1: You can still get off those uh cheesy punchlines with the best of them if you give them the chance.
0: I'll be fast.
1: There you go. Boom. Done.
0: And I guess, I mean, speaking of the 80s over-the-top cheesiness, the other component of of the staff picks was we want to talk about movies that we would recommend for people who really loved the Fast and the Furious films and you know, lesser known whatever things maybe. And I feel like my pitch is going to be for The Sylvester Stallone penned film from 1986, Cobra. Stallone uh, is is the lead in this as the uh, the cop Cobra.
1: Marion Cobretti.
0: Yeah. And it is over the top by even 80s standards as far as hyperviolence and (laughs) just... I don't know. I feel like like, if I say that it was distributed by Canon Films, the Canon Film Group, I feel like that That says a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Canon Films, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, put out a whole bunch of I mean, it's not even like B movies. I mean, some of these were A movies uh, that made a ton of money, like, you know, Breaking break 2, a bunch of uh, Chuck Norris films.
2: Wasn't it Charles Bronson or was New World the one that Charles Bronson
0: had? I know that Canon put out Death Wish Three. Canon also tried to
1: make a uh, Spider-Man. They were like the first ones to try to get at Spider-Man, and they had the rights to it for a while.
0: Yeah, so Cobra is my pick. Very, you know, candy-colored uh, insanity that would fit fit in right alongside, you know, some of the the action sequences from the Fast and the Furious films.
1: Yeah, and the the guy that directed that, uh, George P. Cosmatis, actually his son is the one that directed uh, Mandy, for anyone that's seen that uh, deliriously great uh, Nicolas Cage movie from a couple years ago.
0: He also directed Tombstone.
1: I did not know that. See, that's a
0: Tombstone, actually good movie. Cobra, more on the line. If you go into Cobra, expecting it to be a ridiculous film that was made in 1986 and has all of those 1986 uh mentalities and you know the way that it frames the hero or i guess in this case kind of the anti-hero um and load after load of genre trope just kind of piled in um
1: chris what's the uh, the better film from that two-year stretch uh, commando or cobra because
2: i feel like they're very similar for both of those guys commando commando please it had a really huge cut for it too and it was really cool
1: I only just watched Commando for the first time over the weekend. That's why I brought it up, and like, because I've been on like an Arnold tear of like the movies from like his you know primo run, and uh, I I absolutely love that one because it's a little bit like more raw than some of his uh, other ones. That's a bonus uh, pick for you. It, it would it would work too if you're a fan of the Fast and Furious movies. Good uh, no nonsense Arnold action movie.
0: Is that your is that your pick?
1: No 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 my my actual pick that I had was I'm going to go with uh, another 1985 movie, though, I'm going to go with uh, William Friedkin's To Live and Die in L.A., um, which has a uh, a still terrifying, very early Willem Dafoe in it as the bad guy, and a very much in his prime, uh, William Peterson, who, of course, played uh, Grissom on CSI later, Um, and uh, William Peterson plays like a hotshot Secret Service agent who's trying to to bust a, a counterfeiting ring to Live and Die in L.A. is a little bit more uh, noirish than any of the Fast and Furious movies are, um, for sure. But um, it's got some absolutely dynamite all-time like driving scenes in it in Los Angeles, um, as does you know the Fast and Furious movies. And the, the soundtrack actually is is pretty good too. And Wang Chung of all uh, groups actually did the soundtrack to for to Live and Die in L.A. I don't know how off the beaten path that one is. I feel like it is at this point. I don't hear a lot of people talking about to live and die in LA, Um, but that's my recommendation for anyone that uh, needs, has a need for speed after watching the Fast and Furious movies.
0: What about Baby Driver? I understand where we're going with this. It was good, wasn't it? It No, it was, it was not good. It is, it is by far, by far the worst Edgar Wright film in my opinion.
2: I liked it, and when you see West Side Story this summer, when you're just clicking your heels and everything along with Ansel Elgort, you say, I gotta go back and find out what his origin story was, and you'll see Baby Driver. Okay, so I'm going, you know that I always go pop, I'll go big, okay? Speed, you gotta see speed, and I think that has a very strong tie to Fast and Furious. I I have not
1: seen speed in a, a good long time, anytime Dennis Hopper's a bad guy i'm i'm here for it so i need to go rewatch speed i think that's it's on my to do list now
2: well god i keep waiting for them to have that race and there's never a race now now they're getting helicopters involved they're doing all this kind of junk that i like i like the rawness of the original i really did
1: it will be funny when inevitably they completely reboot the Fast and Furious movies. And yeah, it gets back to its gritty roots and it's a, a drag race type movie again.
0: Yeah, it's back to Greece. I mean, there was what like infiltrating crime rings and going undercover and being, I mean, it's, it's not spycraft necessarily, but it's not too far off. It's, what is it, using leverage over somebody to get them to, to work for the cops? We'll let you go if you do this
2: one last mission. So we got some news.
0: News. Movie news. <laughs> this just in. I don't really have too much that I found. I don't know about you guys. The, the biggest you know, top, top line item for me would be that Rob Zombie announced that his next film project is going to be The Munsters.
1: Dig the ditches and burn through the witches, a slam in the back of my drag. You love,
2: yeah, that ought to be good. I think it's a perfect fit, it is,
1: yeah. Uh, Bruce, I was telling uh Chris this last week like, if we're gonna live in the you know Cruella world where we get like prequels and sequels and everything like that, and like you know, reinventions of like old IP and stuff, you could do a lot worse than someone like Rob Zombie, who loves 1950s B-movies, getting to do a Monsters movie. That's a, like a perfect fit.
2: Have you ever seen a stage show? I have not, actually, no. It's very theatrical. It's really like, you, wow, this is this is more than just a concert. He's put something into this. There's some thought. I mean, you may not like it, but you've got to admire the idea that he's a creative person who doesn't just think we're going to get out there and play that old song one more time, and here you are. There, It all kind of... It combines. It is something. It is a show.
0: I think. I mean, it's like Alice Cooper.
2: Alice Cooper, exactly, exactly.
0: You know, you're you're coming for all the the craziness. The, oh, who was the, is it Sphinguli? <laughs> you know, like that kind of, you know, the basement, you know, Elvira kind of level love of old horror. I admire his ability
2: to want to be an, a, a director too. I think that's that's very fascinating.
0: Some would argue that's, that that's all he does is want to be one.
2: <laughs> no, but you know, I mean, he's at the point where he doesn't have to mess with this other stuff, but he still wants to be creative in a way that I think is is admirable. It may not be what you like, but that doesn't mean that he isn't, you know, creating some, you know, one of my favorite things that I've seen in a long time, if I did, I mentioned this to you, Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham has a, special on, um, is it Netflix now? Called Inside, unbelievable. That's how good it is. And Bo is a, is a comic who was in um, in that Promising Young Woman where he played the boyfriend of Carrie Mulligan. And what he has done is this was all done during the pandemic. He sits basically in one room and kind of covers all aspects of his life in song, in um, monologues, you name it. He does all the shooting. He does all of the uh, writing of the music. He accompanies himself. It's so creative. I have not seen, I truly, it needs to win every single award there is because it is so, so amazing. And you start and you think, oh, I get it. This guy's just gonna sing a little goofy song about you know being inside all along for a year and a half or whatever it is. No, he goes deep, he goes dark he talks about suicide it's it's really a great exploration of an artist creating i agree right you you isn't it just unbelievable
0: i think i mean it's the whole thing was recorded basically in what looked like one room and the way that it's shot and edited is it shows all of the the seams of you know how he he made the thing and yeah, he, he, he's such a visually inventive person. I don't know, it almost felt like a less of a comedy special and more of the visual albums that, uh, you know, like Beyonce does.
2: I thought it should be a, a MacArthur Genius Grant. I really did because that is so, so, I mean, I could never, you know how you think, oh, I should really be doing something during this pandemic and I should create something. But this is so far beyond all of that. It's much more. And um, it could be a whole new way of storytelling.
0: I, yeah.
2: People don't have the skills, but boy, was this, I, I didn't realize he was that good at singing. His
0: lyrics are really cool. Bruce, was your introduction to him as the director of eighth grade? Yeah, I think so. I never watched those YouTube videos that he did
2: way back when. No.
0: There's the YouTube videos that made him famous. And then, I mean, he, you know, put out a couple of specials on Comedy Central um, as well that are also pretty unique in in the way that they are structured. He really enjoys toying with, you know, format. um, And he's clearly someone whose head is just constantly coming up with new things.
1: Which makes sense because even like the very early... YouTube stuff, you know, some of it may registers like a little bit hokey or whatever now, but even that stuff, you can tell it's like somebody who just like has a million different like jokes and ideas and stuff that they want to just get out like as quickly as they possibly can.
2: Are we talking about
0: bad last films? Yes, and the, the reason for that is that Quentin Tarantino is back in the news uh, for his, like the press tour around the, the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is coming out, I think, later this month, end of this month, I want to say. And he was talking about how I think his 10th film was going to be his last, which he's been saying for years and years. I feel like he's going to stick to it for better or worse. I know, Bruce, you and I were talking briefly earlier that you know, there are certainly other directors who said they're retiring and then unretired. <laughs>
2: Well, and look now with the change with um, streaming being so big, can you really say that if you're doing anything that's creative with that kind of a medium, am I done with film? No, because they might change the, the ground rules on you and say, if you're just doing television, it could also be a film, you know? Ingmar Bergman did that too, way back when. He did TV shows that we aired as films in the United States. You know, and it's like, well, wait a minute here. So I, I don't believe any of them. Whenever they say that, that's a marketing ploy.
0: I feel like he's going to stick to it. I don't want him to. He keeps kind of renegotiating it where he'll say, I think he counts Kill Bill 1 and 2 as one film. So that's going to shave one film off of there. And then I think he is, he's been in talks for a long time. And I'm sure he has a script worked out um, where he's going to do a Star Trek film. And that one is not going to count, I think, because that's not going to be like the new film from Quentin Tarantino in the same way that every single one of his open. And so, I mean, it kind of opens him up where it's like he can do that last new film from Quentin Tarantino. And then after that, like maybe he gets back into directing TV or his first passion, which is acting. <laughs> so I could see him writing a lot and doing, doing that. But I think he's going to stick to it. Whereas Soderbergh, Definitely did not.
1: Because like because like Soderbergh or you know guys like him, or I've been on a big uh, like Clint Eastwood kick too. Like they're both way more workman-like type of guys. Um, whereas like you know, Tarantino's like writing the screenplays for all of these two and and directing them, which is uh, obviously takes a whole lot more like time and investment and everything. And I could definitely understand then and believe that somebody would want to be done after a certain amount of time with
0: the one of the things that he listed as a reason for wanting to bow out at 10 films is that he said that that so many famous directors, their final films were not very good. And so he's kind of using it as a way to kind of cap his legacy uh, to where his final film is going to be really great, I suppose, uh, in comparison. And honestly, I mean, the, the, the idea was for us to talk about the worst final films from, you know, canonically regarded directors. And I don't know too many. I mean, at least like the ones that are bad are probably ones that just weren't seen very often or, you know, that didn't get really broad distribution. I'm going to take this opportunity to jump on on the grenade and say that my pick would be Prairie Home Companion by Robert Altman. I was going to say it. I wanted to get ahead of that because, I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't even think Pre-Home Companion that bad. I mean, other than obviously uh, Garrison Keillor has since been ratioed out of, out of, you know, existence, <laughs> thankfully, him and his horrible limericks.
1: You got uh, sent back to Lake Wobigon or wherever the hell it is.
2: But that movie isn't in keeping with what, what Altman did, you know, it really is kind of a whole different feel to it. And when you look at the the latter things he did the player Gosford Park, all those things that are very very good, there would be good ones to stop on and then this it was just a chance to work with Meryl Streep I think
0: hmm yep I don't know I mean like it's it's not bad. I think uh, what Kevin Klein as guy Noir is pretty solid casting and that you know pays off in its own weird way Um but yeah, it doesn't as as a final film, it's a really weird note to end on. So that's my pick. And it sounds like Bruce, Another you one, agree.
2: one who fizzled and I, I hope he has a chance to come back and do something that's good is Peter Bogdanovich. He was so good at one time. And then there are a lot of these little kind of crappy things that look like they're done for money um, that really don't measure up. And I wish he would do, cause he's a great filmmaker. Those, those first three ones that he did with Last Picture Show and Paper Moon and What's Up Doc, unbelievable. And um, even, even like Long Last Love, those are good films but boy, it really dropped off. And it could be just a reflection of his personal life too. There were a lot of issues that he had that um, maybe were clouding his creativity. Who are you picking, Jared?
1: I get two that came to mind that are a little bit cheating because they're still alive, but it doesn't seem like they're gonna be doing any more movies. One because of age and the other because of just, I think, lack of interest in making any more movies, at least as a director. The one because of age is, I don't think Mel Brooks is gonna make another movie and Dracula Dead and Loving It, even if you like Mel Brooks is a pretty terrible movie. I mean, that feels safe to say. And then the one for lack of interest that I would say um, is kind of not the best note to end on of anyone is uh, John Carpenter, um, who did uh, The Ward was his last movie, which was in like 2010, I want to say. And before that, it had been like nine years um, and he did Ghosts of Mars, neither of which are anywhere close to like the best work that he did, let alone with like Halloween, but like not even as good as, you know stuff like In the Mouth of Madness, which is a gem that I just watched recently for the first time, or They Live, or Big Trouble in Little China, which we've talked about before. Like, it just, um, I, he, like, Bug Donner, would have a chance to redeem that, though, because, I mean, he's still around, and he just is more interested in, you know, making music now and uh, producing and stuff for, like, the newer Halloween movies. But I would love to see him get one more uh, great horror movie out there. And then my actual pick for someone that it absolutely is there last, uh, movie, although I guess he has one posthumously that people are helping with is, um, George Romero. Um, God love him. He stuck to the, of the dead movies and he had one in 2009 called, um, survival of the dead, which came out after diary of the dead and which came out after land of the dead. And the thing that's a shame with those movies is like basically from dawn of the dead and all the way back in the seventies up through survival of the dead, which was Romero's last movie while he was alive. um, you can see that the ambition is still there, but the lack of resources and money just slowly taper off as the movies go along um, to the point where Survival of the Dead like does not look that great at all because it, it didn't get that great of uh, a budget. It was only a couple million and he you know was an ambitious director and when you're an ambitious director and you don't have the kind of money you need to make that ambition possible, the movies are going to suffer and so he's my actual pick for someone whose um last movie while they were alive was left a lot to be desired although they've talked about um a posthumous movie coming out that would be called um, twilight of the dead which would be a final say on that whole universe and so i'm curious to see how that ends up and maybe that'll be a nice grace note even though it'll be after he passed away so
0: i feel like i mean honestly i've got way more arguments for you know, great films that were director's last ones than ones that were really bad. So stick with it, Tarantino. I know you've got it in you. Yeah, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. Yes. And this is the week that Chris is actually going to go back in the theater.
1: To see the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard.
0: Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Got to get in there for that one. Get my, my popcorn, get my large soda.
1: You gotta get the large popcorn, though, so you can get the refill and take it home
0: later. I'm going to go and see something good in the theater. Meanwhile, we'll screen it at home. We're good. (laughs) Just like we always say. Thank you guys so much. And, uh, yeah. Well, that is the end of the episode. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, And find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourself out there. As always, thanks so much for listening.